Jackson. Let's welcome Dr. Henry Jones. Thanks, Everybody hear me okay? All right, super. So just to get a sense of who's in the audience, if you are from the state of Mississippi, if you consider yourself a Mississippian, raise your hand. All right. If you did not raise your hand, but you are, you know, see yourself in the United States, you're American, but non, non-Mississippi, okay? And you are non-American, foreign, right, awesome, great. So a lot of Mississippians, that's cool. Well, I'm going to talk about some stuff going on in the state of Mississippi um, that also has global implications. So whoever, whoever you are, wherever you're from, um, I think there's going to be something interesting for you to see today. Second question, who is in... I'd say a technical field, engineering, um, computer science, something like that. All right. Who did not just raise your hand? Okay. So mostly technical people in here. All right. Cool. That's good. You think that's right? You think did I get a, you know appropriate? Because we're gonna do this again later, okay? So I'll make sure everybody can handle this stuff. You know, because we're gonna be doing some more of that. Well, there's gonna be kind of two talks in a sense. This one I'm going to give first is actually one that I'll usually give last, but I'm going to change it around because I think it's going to help with what I'm going to talk about second. It's a topic that a lot of people want to um, know more about. Um, by the way, how many people have heard me talk before? Okay, great. What we're going to talk about first is how to become rich. Anybody interested in how to become rich? Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. All right, so let's talk about that, okay? Because I don't think... Most people in your shoes have thought about it too much. Okay, this is yeah. So this is the way a lot of the world works up here. Okay, you have a job, you spend your time, you get some some wage, right? Some dollars per hour. So it's pretty simple. You know, if you're engineering, you know the whole units thing. You got time, and then dollars per time, and dollars, yeah? This cash goes towards your expenses, food, clothing, shelter. And you know, the thing about food and clothing and shelter, they all kind of wear out, they get consumed. So these things, they go away, you have to keep pouring cash from up here, down to here, right? This is what it means when you are poor, okay? If every bit of your cash just goes to the basics of food, clothing, and shelter, all right? And there are billions of people in the world, and this is what it means for their lives on a daily basis. That's not where any of us want to be. That's not where we want those folks to be. This is what tends to happen when you go to college, all right? You get a better wage. You get more dollars per hour than the person who's poor. So what do you do with your cash? You take the food, clothing, your gas, electricity, you get some more expenses, and then you buy other things with that cash, right? You buy what are called liabilities. And if anybody's got economics class, you'll start recognizing some of the stuff, balance sheets, cash flow statements, income statements, and that kind of thing. This is what you end up doing with your cash. The truth about liabilities are that they are really not too different from expenses, generally speaking. A liability is defined by something that costs you money every month. A lot of people have looked at their houses as an asset because of the way they have blown up in, you know, in, in value. But the truth is, you have to pay to keep the house up, everything from taxes and maintenance and all that kind of thing. A house is, generally speaking, a liability. There's a small component of it that's an asset, but for the most part, they're a liability. Cars, definitely a liability. A boat, definitely a liability. And that's what happens when you are middle class for most people is you get more expenses, you get more liabilities, you do start making more money because you're moving up in the chain, you know, that kind of deal. But this is what it means to be middle class. You know, we talk about, you hear somebody talk about, I'm in the rat race. The rat race is, I get some cash, I buy some liabilities, it increases my expenses, I gotta keep doing more to get higher wages, to pay for more expenses, you have more weight. This is this. It's this crappy, crappy cycle, right? But this is what a lot of people live in, and you can, I just want you to be aware of this so you can make some smart decisions yourself. Because you're in a, an awesome place right now to make smart decisions. What else could you do with those extra wages instead of buying liabilities? You could buy things that are called assets. So the difference between an asset and a liability: a liability costs you money every month. An asset brings you in money every month. 
right? That is a big difference. And we're going to see why in just a second. If you are spending your extra cash on buying assets, putting your time into making other assets, you can buy things with this extra cash. Not just the savings and stocks, but bonds and real estate, businesses, all that kind of thing. And now that these assets can also contribute to paying for your expenses, which is pretty cool. It's going to get cooler in a second. And also they can be spent to buy more and more assets. Why is this really neat? Because eventually, at some point, it's going to kind of work like this. Your assets can start basically paying for your expenses. All the money that you go, that you make, goes into buying more assets. All right? You know what's really, really cool about this? It's when this happens. It does not matter how much time you spend. It does not matter how much you make per hour. Your assets are paying for your expenses. And if you're, going, if you're smart about it, it pays for your car and your boat and your house and your furniture. What looks better, the rat race or this? This looks a whole lot better, right? And it's all about your decisions up front about where am I going to spend that extra money that starts coming in once I have this degree, once I get out, and I start making more, making more money than I ever thought I really was going to make in my life. Now, here's some, a couple things to think about. You can make a lot of money, but if you spend a lot, you're not rich. You guys aren't so young, right, that you don't know who Michael Jackson is, right? Everybody knows who Michael Jackson is. Everybody thinks that is one rich MF, right? Yeah? What was he doing when he died? What was he doing when he died? No, he was working. I mean, he, he, was, he was in whatever. Why was he on drugs and all that stuff? Because he was working. He wasn't working because he wanted to work. He was working because he had to work. Michael Jackson was not a rich man. He was exactly the same as the poor people all over the world because that dude had to keep working to pay for all the expenses that he had. That's an eye-opener, isn't it? You can be Michael Jackson and you still be poor. That dude was poor. How about this? Keep your expenses really low. You don't have to have that much assets. You can do exactly this. You can stop working. I've got friends that made decisions different from me. Made decisions when they were in your shoes. They got out of college. What they did, it was, it was a, a, a guy and his girlfriend they ended up getting married. All of their extra money they spent buying real estate properties for the first six or seven years, something like that. They were professionals. They made good money as engineers right out of school. They, they live super, super, super simply. And they put all their money in real estate properties, and they kept their expenses low. I uh, see, so I'm now, I'm now 42. I'm give something away to them. Um, before they turned 30, they retired. They, the, here's what they do now. They travel the world. They have two kids. They live anywhere they want to live. They kind of work periodically just because something might be interesting for them to do. It doesn't matter anymore. They have been rich since before they were 30 years old because they made super smart decisions from day one. So that's the kind of groundwork I want to get for all of you. You have the opportunity now to make smart decisions that are going to pay off or pay down the rest of your life. So just keep this in mind. Keep these little graphics in mind from here on out. I'm happy to share this with anybody. There's a whole book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It gets in a whole lot more detail about this. Um, it does a better job telling the story than I do. But um, please keep this in mind. Right. So um, this up at the top, Rob Kiyosaki. And um, here's some other examples. If we want to come back to it later, um, of some, some other good books that I recommend everybody take a look at, especially if you are thinking about entrepreneurship. And I, I'll give this to Eric. If he, you know, he'll just, I'm giving it to you, and you can distribute the whole, um, this whole talk. So let's talk about, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about me, um, really at all, but I have tried to do my best to invest in assets. And one of the assets I'm going to talk about today is uh, business. So because of some luck and a few smart decisions, I have some real estate that generates a little bit of income. Um, I have a small business that I started in 2009 that created some apps, and the apps were well done, and they continued to make money for us. And so it's pretty cool when you get, you know, when you're living in the world where you're getting checks and it's coming to mail, and you have you're not doing anything to do to, you know, to earn them anything. There's no, there's no time 
times wage for those checks that come in the mail. That's the kind of place you want to be. This other asset I'm going to spend the rest of, of our time together talking about is something I do spend a lot of time on. It's a business that I founded along with three other guys. It's called Copus Mobile. And it's something that I'm spending you know, basically all my time in. But it's because I believe it is a great asset. It's going to have a great return for me and my family going forward. And what's also really cool for me is I absolutely love what I'm doing. And so that's, um, that, has some, you know, that has some additional value. It doesn't even fit on the previous slides. But it's even so much better if you're able to spend your time doing something that you really like to do. So that's why I'm going to, I'm going to have to switch over to this other um, presentation. Just a second. All right, so that's that's the name of the company, Copus Mobile, and uh, basically what we do is we build apps and app-enabled equipment for the military and law enforcement and private security companies. And one of the two two of the founders, uh, I have a mechanical engineering degree, and then I've done a bunch of startups. Two of the founders are Mississippi State graduates in electrical engineering, and the fourth founder was an officer in SEAL Team 6. And so between the four of us, we have a pretty broad um, you know, set of experiences of those two electrical engineers. One really took a software path. Once we graduated, one took an electronics hardware path. So we can build pretty much anything. We build all sorts of stuff as a result. And what we focus on are building things that are simple, reliable, rugged, secure. You know, there are a lot of companies that they're, they're, what they sell their products on are the, the bullet points on the brochure, all the cool things it'll do. Our customers care about other kinds of bullets, not the ones on a brochure. They want to make sure if they use our product, it's just going to work. It's going to be simple. They don't have to remember their training from eight months ago, the last time they picked it up. And we think that it's a competitive advantage for our company to focus on that as an engineering team, to focus on that approach as a marketing and sales team, not try to sell bells and whistles, but try to sell reliability and simplicity. <coughs> I've got a video to show um, that kind of gives you an example. I've actually got a few videos I'm going to try to do today. Um, let's see how this goes. <coughs> So everybody kind of get a little bit of a glimpse into the sort of things that we do. That's uh, that's about that, that's a that's a little um, minute and a half video about one of our products called Network Tactical Television. That I'm going to talk about a little bit more in a second. So when I'm out talking about the company, generally speaking, I am not uh, selling to groups of people like you. I'm talking to generals and admirals and captains and, and uh, navy captains and 
marine kernels and that sort of thing. So what we're generally talking about are what sort of demands they have these days and what uh, trends are going to be impacting them, what their future looks like. So we have a brief, is what they call it, you know, not a presentation. We brief those guys on something that we call your future. And I'm going to give you just a little snippet of this brief today, just so you can get a little bit of background and um, learn a little bit more about what it is that we do and why we do it. This brief that we put together, I, don't, I think I'm going to show like 10 slides, 12 slides, something like that. It's 140 slides long, and we do it in about 35 minutes. If you are talking to a general or an admiral, you do not waste their time. The best way to keep them to pay attention is to turn a fire hose directly under their face and keep at it at full speed so that they're kind of afraid to look away. And if you do, if you do that, generally speaking, they will have consumed a little bit of it, which is you know, more than you can say most of the time they got something else that they're attention to. So, I'm going to just show you a little bit of it now, and what's cool about it is we were able to pull together all this research, you know, over a thousand man years of effort, at least $62 million from our estimate. Um, and what, what we start off talking about is this, you know, perception, the, you know, the, the, the data showing that the war seems to be going down. Um, what, what's my paper here? So this is um, from World War II to today. And so after World War II, wars kind of went down, and then they developed the Cold War. They kind of started perking up again. And then the Cold War was over in 1992, um, which I, I remember kind of probably early on for you guys. And this just kind of cratered. You, this is probably what most of you have experienced you know, in your lives is this part. And so um, we saw the frequency of wars rise, and then kind of hit a high point right there that you see, and then drop off shortly. And a big reason for that is that the number of what are called extra-state wars or dyadic wars, um, those are between different countries, only about 9%. You know, things like the United States versus Japan and <coughs> Germany and Great Britain and all that kind of thing, they just stopped happening for the most part. And um, there were some wars that, that were happening. You know, people were, were a colony and they got tired of being a colony, including the United States, right? 1776, they got tired of being a colony. And that kind of took place over the course of a couple hundred years. Um, so, you know, we asked the, those generals, admirals, should you start looking for another career? Because um, there's, like I showed, this big decline in wars and so forth. A, a common rationale for that is democracy is really spreading to a lot of the countries, and it's harder to go to war if people kind of vote against it, because sons and daughters are going to get put in harm's way, and that's not something you want to be a part of. So in effect, there's been a statistical drop in probability of war. And if your responsibility is to take care of the war business, um, that doesn't sound like such good news for you. Here's the deal, though. War is not dead. I showed you a plot for the last 50 years. What I'm showing here is a plot for the last 200 years. And unfortunately, because I'm not in favor of war, but I, we just have to be realistic and deal with the data um, and do the things that we have to do to protect you know, the people that we care about and the, the system of government that we believe in. Um, the last 70 years since World War II, so don't really, aren't fully representative of the last 200 and beyond. Um, war is actually on the rise. If you take that, that plot before and you plot how many new um, wars per decade, it averages 22, but it's really a 10% increase over the last, per decade over the last 200 years. Every decade, uh, on average, there are more wars every 10 years. So from an example, just in the last, in the, 19, in the 20th century, there were less than 10 wars a year the first half of the century. In the second half of the century, it actually jumped by 3x, 300% um, since 1950. So on the one hand, you know, with more democracy and all those good sort of feel-good things, and you saw the, the big drop-off the last few years about war, it seemed like everything's going in the right direction. What's actually going on there? What's, you know, what's behind all this? Why are there more wars in the 20th century than the 19th? Here's the breakthrough insight. There are way, way more countries now, and that is what drives the number of wars. And it makes sense kind of intuitively, right? If you've got three people, it's hard for to have that many conflicts. If you've got 300 people, then you're going to naturally have some more conflicts um, between those people. And that's what's going on here. In 1946, <laughs> there were 66 countries in the world. In, in 2001, there were 187. A lot more countries mean that you have more conflict between countries, and you're also going to have more governments and people trying to take over and that kind of thing. Because, and that's, that's what it turns out to um, 
to, to me is that the, it's not so much that we're having wars between countries anymore, and that's what we spend the next probably 20 slides, and I'm not going to go over with you guys. It's so, so much of the, the conflict today are civil wars, and you've seen that in the news with Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq and Libya and all, this, all the stuff that you see these days. It's not country to country. It's, it's wars within, inside a country, and that means all kinds of stuff if you're an admiral or a general or a marine, um, marine colonel, because a lot of the time now you're trying to fight in a war and you can't even tell who the bad guys are, you can't tell who the good guys are. There's all sorts of problems with communication, with logistics, with information. There's just a lot of problems that the guys two generations or even one generation before them didn't have to worry about. So while the frequency of wars is good news, we're going down on a per country basis. They're getting, uh, we're having more countries as far as you have more countries, they have more wars, and then they also get more violent um, because our weapons are getting better. So the trends, it's, so those, those generals and admirals do not need to look for a new job. Um, what they need to look for are ways to address some of these new threats in an environment where, generally speaking, they have fewer, fewer people, fewer resources, less money, that kind of thing. So that's sort of the context for um, the, the general talk that we give. And I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to take a little pop quiz and see what you think um, about this topic, all right? So I want everybody to take their left hand and make a fist. Left hand, make a fist. Left hand, make a fist. This is going to be your counter, okay? One, two, three, four, five, all right? If you get the question right, you can stick your finger out. All right. right arm, that is going to be your voter. True, false, okay? Everybody got that? So now so let's see. Is this true or false? The statement true or false? That experts predict that the largest bloodshed from future wars will be from poor countries and not wealthy countries. So if you think that most of the bloodshed is going to be in poor countries, raise your hand. All right. If you kept your hand down, you get to stick a finger out. That's false. Okay. Everybody follow how that's going to work? Hand down, you get to stick a finger out. Second question. The most important factors that participate in war are religion and ethnicity. Who thinks that's true? Raise your hand. All right, great. If you kept your hand down, you get to stick another finger out. All right. Next question. There is no correlation between a country's per capita GDP and the frequency of armed conflict. So if you think it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're going to get in the war or not. If you think that's true, raise your hand. If you kept your hand down, you get another point. All right. GDP goes down, so the productivity of a country goes down in a country at war because the nation reduces its net exports and imports. So it's, generally speaking, a bad thing for a country to go to war. If you think that's true, raise your hand. Oh, uh, y'all think I got some kind of trick I'm playing. It's actually true, okay? Not all false, one of those deals. So if you have your hand up, you get to stick another finger out. Anybody got four fingers going on right now? All right, Yeah, I got some... This side of the smart side of the room, apparently. All right. Last question. We got two four fingers up. Let's see if you can get the last one. All right. Poverty is more likely to lead to war than oil production. If that's true, raise your hand. It's true. Did you have? Did you get all five? Y'all did. All right. Good job, fellas. So this, when I did exactly the same thing that we just did with the guys that we give this and the women that we give this talk to, and they're they're not doing this generally speaking when we get done with it. Usually it's like one or two. There's a lot of misperceptions about what's kind of driving the conflict in the world today. So like I said, we we go from this. We talk about civil wars. We talk about some of the things that China and Russia are doing. Um, we talk about. Uh, the things like ISIS and drug cartels and the impact that they're having on conflict and violence in the world. And then we also spend some time talking about the, the problems of bureaucracy and so forth that our folks have to deal with. Uh, you know, you've got a, an ISIS and they can go and work in the garage and make something happen really quickly and come back the next day with something that's pretty mean and nasty. And our guys have to wait for 18 months before something might show up that could work the thing that's already, you know, past history by the time it does. And we give them some ideas about what to do about that. So it's a, it's a really cool opportunity to, to inform and get some questions and 
some insight from our military leaders and our law enforcement leaders. I'm going to skip ahead just because you know, we have sort of a different objective today. And I'm going to talk about some of the products that we built. These are, these are products built by a Mississippi company, built in Mississippi. Um, there's a picture here that's not normally a part of the, the talk. Um, this is a, inside of a, of a command and control center, um, the U.S. Army Command and Control Center. This is very, very, very typical. You get a general sense of, you know, if you got a tent, which requires air conditioning and all that kind of stuff, and cleaning, and you got laptops, and desks, and servers, and electricity, and phones, and hand sanitizer, and you know, all kinds of stuff going on in the um, command and control setup for, for our forces today. But if you, you know, some of the content that I was skipping over, we, we do a lot of work, and we're going to be doing a lot more work with what's called uh, foreign military defense, or working with partner nations, where we send some of our people into another country to help the folks that are there um, do a better job with their own you know, defense. And this is what our folks are generally used to having. So there's this big disconnect between helping out a, a, a poor country with what they're trying to do and what we're sort of used to from a command and control perspective. <coughs> so what we've done, I'm going to take a second and uh, put this on. These little radios here are by a company called ICOM. They're a Japanese company. Most everybody in the United States has heard of Motorola. And um, ICOM is kind of the Motorola for the rest of the world. And what, um, what you see if you travel the rest of the world and you go and you do something with the um, Afghan, Afghani National Army or the Iraqi Ministry of Defense is that a lot of those folks, pretty much all of them, use ICOM radios. These aren't exactly walkie-talkies, like you might go get a uh, radio shack, but they're not too much different either. Um, so what you do have when you have something like this, and this is the way that, that our guys and their guys have worked forever, is kind of like you see this drawn here. An ICOM radio might talk directly to another ICOM radio, or it might go to some <coughs> repeating tower in between, and they're just talking back and forth. The way our guys would operate um, when we are you know, working with them, you go to, into another country, you have a duffel bag full of these radios and some extra batteries and chargers. You go to the unit that you're going to work with, and you give these out, and they go around and they talk to one another. Sometimes what happens is you give it out to one of those guys, and while everybody goes out and fights, he takes off for home. Or he goes around to the other side, he says, hey, why don't you listen in to what these, Crazy Americans, the guy guys, you know, the, the, you know what I'm saying, you got the, the bad guy side to listen to the good, good guys. It's not good, and there's not a whole lot that you can do about it. And our guys are used to the tents and all that kind of thing. So what we built was this little system that I'm wearing right here. There's a cable that's on my back. Inside the cable is this little circuit board. And with that circuit board, along with the software that's on the smartphone, there's a Samsung Note 3. You might have a Note 3. You have a Samsung Note 3? Quite heard of them though. That's, there's, a, there's a standard Samsung Note 3 in this, um, this hardened case right here. And they just pop it in here, do it like that. What our cable lesson do is now we can connect a smartphone to that radio network. And we can well, now, you got a, now that you've got a smartphone connected, you can do all kinds of cool stuff. These are some screenshots from what our software does. You can now send text messages. You can send photo messages. Um, you can do blue force tracking. That's what it's called. So I can now see where all of these guys with their radios are. I can see they kind of ease over somewhere they're not supposed to be. Um, I can do that covertly or overtly. I, mean, I can do it. They know that I'm tracking them. They don't know that I'm tracking them. I can key their microphone. They may or may not know that I'm doing that. I can totally brick their radio. All that kind of stuff. What did it require for me to do that? I mean, a lot of what you see is just this, you know, vest and so forth, which I need just to kind of you know, hold on my gear, but I don't have that anyway. Really, it's just a phone and a cable and then these. Badass headphones that I got here. <laughs> I'm doing with my ears. These are really cool. 
That's a game changer. Um, we just introduced this in February, and now it's all over the world. It's been used in a lot of different places that we didn't expect already. And there's cool things that you can do once you have a smartphone attached. You got a lot of guys jabbering in some foreign language, right, over these radios. And my smartphone's listening in. I can run some translation software and uh, talk as it's going on. I can look down here and I can get a general sense of what those guys are talking about, even though I don't have a translator with me. That's pretty cool. That's pretty powerful. I can, I can capture all of that conversation. I can send it back to headquarters and they can you know, do stuff with it. I can actually link smartphone to smartphone across a long distance and then link the radios to the smartphone. There's just a lot of really cool stuff that you can do. But we're very excited about what this is letting us do, and our customers are too. This is one of what we call our, one of our high-speed apps. I mean, it's something for people that are out there. They're, you know, they probably have this on, and they probably have a gun in their hand. Another um, app that is specifically designed for people with a gun in their hand. It's called Range Rings. So um, for long-distance precision shooting, although I've known being a sniper, uh, you need to know what to dial into your scope. In the past, just the nature of operations was that you knew with at least a little bit of time where you're going to go. You often would get a little satellite map or something, uh, that, or a photo from an airplane, where you're going to be. And so you could sketch out, this is where I'm going to be, this is where the likely bad guys are going to come from, this is the distance, this is what I'm going to need to dial in, this is the weather that I know. And you could figure out ahead of time, more or less, what some of those things where you're going to need to dial into your scope. Well, the different the concept of operations has changed substantially. So now what happens is you're one spot, and then everything moves to some place nobody's predicted, and so a helo picks you up, and they drops you off in another building two miles away that you really didn't ever expect to have to be. So what our app does is you can take a smartphone, it can be an Android, it can be an iPhone, it can be a Blackberry. There are actually still people in the military that use those. Put it on the windowsill or on the ledge right where you got dropped off, and what it'll do is it picks up where am I, what's the imagery from where I am, what's the current weather information, what weapon system am I using, and then it creates rings around where I am so that I can see for different landmarks what do I need to dial into my scope based on the most updated information. When I, I, I'm just, I'm not a sniper, obviously. What I'm told is this app, is, they put it down while they're getting set up, it does its calculations, they look at it. The app gets used for maybe five to 10 seconds per mission, but it's a critical, crucial five to 10 per second per mission. It's super simple. It takes absolutely no training to get it to work. That's the point. Simple, reliable, rugged, secure. So going from the sort of high-speed stuff, we found out there's a big need for low-speed stuff too. So one of those, you know, learn, learn lessons by going out and just talking to people. Happened to be in this big lobby area at the main administration building at Fort Benning, and a friend knew the, the guy, the commanding officer of the jump school. If you're going to learn how to jump out of an airplane, and the Army especially, but pretty much anybody in the military is going to spend a little bit of time jump school. Anybody here ever been to jump school at Fort Benning? Sometimes that could happen. Um, you don't think about it, but they actually have to keep track of everybody that gets on the airplane. So they can make sure that everybody got off the airplane and shows up at the end, right? You got a lot of people jumping out. It is possible something not so good might happen to somebody. You know, a week later, their mom's like, "Hey, what happened to them?" And unfortunately, they're you know up in a tree somewhere the whole time. That, that's not cool. <laughs> and since the '40s, when they kind of started jumping out of airplanes in you know in, in significant numbers, they have done this with pencil and paper in the rain and the snow and you know all kinds of crappy weather and. and fuel and stuff, and who knows what. So we have introduced a pretty simple app that you swipe your ID card as you're getting on the airplane, and it creates the perfectly filled out form that those guys need. You would like to think that we'd swipe it all and go into some electronic database. No, it actually just goes and produces the form that they need anyway. That made it to the point where it's all a digital system. This is a big improvement for guys in the military because making that Making that handwritten form, it takes four hours. With our little swiping system, it takes them 20 to 30 minutes. So what do they do with those extra three hours? Something other than doing paperwork. That's the sort of thing that matters to a general or an admiral to know that they can spend a little bit of money and get lots of hours back from their people who are already under pressure. to get a lot done with not a whole lot of time or resources. Another thing is kind of in between um, high speed, low speed. 
if you have one of the other issues along with, with you know, the, the spend a lot of time on paperwork, you have to stay up on your training. And a lot of military equipment is relatively expensive. If you need to train on it, in the past, you had to have the equipment. That means you got to tie up the expensive piece of equipment with those people that are going through training. And if you're somewhere where there's no equipment available, you just can't train. If you go into the Apple store, you can go see one of those golf club swing analyzer deals, right? We took that idea and applied it to those detectors. You know, I'm sure everybody's kind of familiar with that concept. It's called uh, root clearance. You're swipe, you know, you're just moving along like this. That's actually a very important part to the way that you do that. You can't move ahead, you can't wall too far, you can't wall too fast, you don't want to wall too slow, you can't swing too much, you can't swing too fast, you can't swing too slow. For a lot of detectors, you want it to be at exactly this particular speed, and you don't want to do this kind of motion. You want to keep it flat, because if you do this big sweep on the ends, you're actually going to be feet away from the ground and actually not clear anything. So there is just as much as there's an important way to swing a golf club, there's an important way to swing a detector. If you're on a, if you're on a ship, you do a metal detector, you can't train with that thing, it's gonna go crazy, there's metal everywhere. So what we do is we take in a smartphone, put an app on there, you can duct tape it to a broom handle, and that's turned into a detector training device. Completely changes the way that you can do training, equipment that you need, but you have to have a trainer there, they record your data, it's just totally transforms everything. So I have one more um, set of videos to show, uh, and it, it goes back to that network tactical television stuff that I, um, the video from the very beginning. And this is um, an example of why it's useful. And I thought I would throw this in there. This is not something that's in the typical uh, presentation for the admirals and captains and so forth. This is just because the next few videos are just pretty neat. I thought it would be fun to share. So the reason that we created that, that, um, that product was because we heard from the, the guys out doing operations, they said, look, we're, we're often carrying GoPros around, and we're also getting smartphones. But the GoPros are either just recording stuff, um, well, the, the GoPros are just recording stuff, and then we go back and watch them later. And the smartphones are used for other types of data. I know we, you know, why, why can't we see the GoPro streams on our GoPros from uh, other guys, right? Does everybody kind of get what's going on? I'm running around. But I can look down and see what the other guys are looking at too, in real time. That seems like that would really be valuable. Well, it turns out that it is, um, and so we've got uh, we've got guys that use it operationally, and then we found out that the big value um, beyond operations is in training, because it turns out that people were taking those GoPros, they're making a lot of video, and then they don't use it. So um, we have a, a product, I, it's very difficult to show here, so I'll show you just one of the feeds from one of the GoPros that ties them all together. Um, so I'm gonna see if we get this So this is first person perspective of a guy, he's getting out of the helicopter right now. You can see other people on his team, they're all also wearing our kit on their chest like that. The helicopter's about to take off, you're gonna see in the background the shadow starts moving out of here. This is called holding security at the landing zone. Um, you let them know that go that way. Other guys go on the other side of the helicopter. They went out this way. This is training, so you'll see some um, some judges uh, basically in effect kind of wear other plastic gear. Um, so they're they're assaulting this building here, and you'll see. Kind of a, I picked this video. There's a, there's a judge. I picked him because he got to be the first one in the door, which is like a so you see, he cleared the, cleared the room. Now, um, at this point, I stopped it because he just watches the stairwell for like the next few minutes, and the other guys go look at other rooms. But you kind of get the gist of it. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of people moving around really quickly. What our system does is it takes all those guys' um, GoPro feeds and it syncs them all up. So if you can, because it's little nuances matter a lot. If a guy goes in the room and he turns the wrong way, and the next guy goes in thinking that that particular area has already been cleared, and there could be a bad guy sitting right there, and the whole, you know, everybody's put in a lot of danger. So there's little bitty nuances that this system's able to catch that are really difficult to catch otherwise. The other thing that we found um, was that you could take the system, not just connected to GoPros, 
So connected to all sorts of other cameras. So one of the uh, coolest things I've been able to do was go down to the special boat team uh, 22 that's down at Stennis in South Mississippi. Most people don't even know that this group's down there. They operate on branches of the um, Pearl River. They have 800 horsepower jet boats. They're awesome. And they go 40 miles an hour down, down little, you know, tributaries that are like half the size of this room. Here is an example of what that looks like. So this is some footage that one of either I or one of the other guys took while we were riding with them that day. So you can see that this is high speed, close quarters, and we're on one boat that's um, you know going right ahead of this this boat that's that's cruising around too. And the reason that we were there. Is and this is you know, some, it's one of those things you just don't know until you go out and talk to customers and, and see what their problems are. In a typical mission, the boats have they're outfitted differently. Some have more weapons than others. Some have more um, support material, and some have more sensors. And one of the issues was that uh, on the boats, typically there was one that had some really badass thermal sensors. They're expensive. Um, they kind of take up room that would be taken up by weapons and so forth. So what we were there to do is put our system on the, you know, the, the post our box up with the thermal camera and then feed it to the other boats so that guys with a smartphone or tablet, meaning they did not have to go through this whole regulatory deal with the, you know, the boat manufacturers, like ridiculous <laughs> what they'd have to do if it was mounted in the boat. But instead they got a tablet or a smartphone and now that can be used to see the thermal feed that looks like this from the boat that's got that equipment on it. What's cool about this video is this is one o'clock in the morning on a moonless night. And we're in the trail boat. You see me going. So the guys. The pilot and the spotter are wearing night vision goggles. Nobody else can see a thing. And you're going 40 miles an hour down this, you know, little river in this 800 power, 800 horsepower boat. And it's an it's an awesome feeling. It's a really cool thing to do. I had huge bruises on my arms after this whole thing was over with. And the great thing about it all is. We're able to do this for these guys and we're able to use the skill set that we've developed to make this work thing possible. And that's kind of the, the, the final thing I want to you know, go away with is if this is if what you've seen over the last you know, 45 minutes or so is of interest to you, then you know, we're interested in you. If you're here and you raise your hand for the different things I ask about, then this is um, something that you know, we'd like to have a further conversation about. Think about these questions before, you know, we, I let off the whole thing about um, how to be rich and how to spend your time and that kind of thing. You also have decisions about what you're going to do with this degree that you're earning by being in here and your other classes. So how do you want to use that education? How do you want to spend your time? What do you want to know a ton about? What do you want to be an expert in in 10 years? What do you want to be an expert in in 20 years? If those answers correlate to the stuff that I've gone over today, then we would love for you to come take a look at Copus Mobile. We are doing co-op interviews on October the 15th. Um, I don't know how it works on your end exactly about how you sign up to be, um, you know, to be there for one of those interviews, but we'd love to have you come do that. If for whatever reason you're unable to, you're out of town or full or whatever it is, there's my contact information, my email address, my phone number. So the, the best thing to do in the short term is go do the co-op interview. But if that's not panning out for you for whatever reason, or you just want to talk about something else, then feel free to give me a shout um, either way you see there. So that's it for my, you know, kind of what I wanted to talk about today, and I'd love to hear if you guys have any questions. Awesome. They sent in a few questions, so I'm going to start that out, and we'll pass it on, uh, open it up. Um, so out of all the inventions you've showed today, what is your most important to you and why? I think the thing that's going to make the most difference, and I, I realized uh, about 10 years ago that 
one of my passions in life is making things. So it just fundamentally makes me super, super happy every time I pull this out of my pocket. Every time I get, you know, I mean, this is, I have a company, I started with three other guys, and we built this, and it's all over the world, helping our guys do their jobs and come home safely. That really it just matters to me. It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter to everybody. You know, everybody's wired differently. Thankfully, I've kind of recognized that that matters a ton to me. So, in the context of what's important to me, I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm going to answer the question in terms of which one of these do I think is going to make the most difference. And from what I, where I stand right now, it's going to be the system that I'm wearing, um, just the nature of all these different trends that we see, the ability to take that room full of stuff and put it on me, the way that we've done is pretty compelling, and we've had such a positive response all over the world that I'm really excited about what that's going to lead to. Awesome. A couple questions about how do you prevent hacking and security? That's a great question. Yeah, so, you know, that... That little motto there is simple, reliable, rugged, and secure. The last one's secure, and that's a big deal. And that means a lot of different things, um, a lot of things you don't even think about. So let's say I'm a, I'm a soldier. I got this whole setup right. I'm trying to be covert and not have anybody pay attention to me. And I've got everything you know, sort of dialed down. And all of a sudden, I get a, would you like to update? <laughs> and big, white dialogue box. It shines a light on my face for everybody to see. It's not the sort of thing you think about from a security standpoint, but that's just called operational security. That's not a good thing at all. Um, there are a lot of things like that you have to keep in mind from an operational security standpoint. Also, you have this, you know, it's on somebody. You have what's called data at rest, meaning you know, the data sitting here on the device, is it secure? Um, what happens if this gets taken in some form or fashion? There's also something called data in transit. So I'm going to probably be broadcasting this some, some information somewhere. How are we keeping that secure? Um, all of those things have, have good practices. They have certain policies. And then they just have some you know, innovation that's still required. This is all moving really quickly. I think everybody in here can appreciate with your own personal smartphone use how much things have changed just in the last three or four years, right? Everything's changing. Now imagine if you're the military and you used to stuff kind of never changing. They're really trying to figure out how to do the important things like take care of all those security issues in a world that's changing very, very quickly. So we have some, some policies and procedures that we follow and there's some that we're mandated to do and some that we elect to do just based on... There, there are no written policies that say don't have a huge white pop-up that says, do you want to update? You won't find one anywhere. But you won't see that ever happen on anything that we have to do. And we scrub all the phones that go out, make sure there's nothing else on the metal or something like that. That's just one of those things you have to learn from listening to your customers, go out, spend a lot of time with them, and then put those time kits in place. It's a good uh, segue to this question. Um, can you share any interesting experiences you've had working with military personnel? Uh, yeah, let's see where to start. There are there's some things you can't talk too much about. There's um let's see. Yeah. Being on a boat is pretty cool, um, for sure. I was spending hours going that fast where you can't see anything. Um, pretty neat. We are often, these days with this system, getting requests for maps and features that surprise us. Um, it's interesting to see where our guys are carrying out operations. Um, that's uh, enlightening for sure. Uh, it's really cool to. I think one of the probably the best takeaway from it. This is just um, we didn't plan this out. If you, if you arrive with the boat team, I mean, it was thrilling, right? All the guys on the boat team, they were kind of over it. 
we went to the jump school and we're with all the guys, there's hundreds of dudes, you know, going out to jump and all that kind of stuff. And we're working with the jump masters. It was thrilling. But the jump masters, they were kind of over it. You know, we go and these guys are helo casting out of stuff on the buildings and all this kind of stuff. Every, every time we turn around, it's pretty badass. You know, the people that do it every day, they're kind of over it. So what's, I think the, the neat thing is that we get in this role that we are in a chance to go see and observe and sit next to and talk to these men and women doing extraordinary, extraordinary things extraordinary people you get to help them out and kind of live in their world a little bit and then go live in another person's world and that's, that's we did not expect that and that is really cool a couple questions about your competition do you have any major competition and what makes you better yeah. so <clears throat> we have a little bit of competition but we don't really butt heads that much because we seem to be in a place we, we've, we've chosen a place that I think it's just we're just a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, it's, it's a really tough aspect of doing a startup. But you, you know, we're, we're, I'm from Mississippi. I live in California a little while. I'm not a surfer. I tried it. God, I sucked. Um, but everybody kind of appreciates the whole point of surfing, right? You swim out, you wait for a wave, and the critical thing is you can't start paddling when the wave hits you, right? You gotta start paddling once you see the wave coming. Start paddling, 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 paddling. Then the wave comes and hopefully you've timed things just right so it's cresting and breaking right where you are and it starts pushing you like crazy and faster than you could ever paddle yourself and you're able to jump up on this board, which is pretty nuts to think about it, and go flying across the water. Doing a startup is not too much different. You're gonna have to choose some place to go out there and paddle to, and then you're going to have to look back over your shoulder and go, I think I see something coming, and start paddling. And, and it's kind of lonely at first, because you're out there, and you're paddling, and people look at you like, what is that idiot doing? He is paddling, and there's nothing coming. Sometimes you're an idiot. Sometimes you are an idiot. You waste all your energy, and it happens. You, know, you went too fast, you started too early, or you started too late. But sometimes you hit it just right, and I think it seems like at this point we kind of hit it pretty right, but that means that right now we are moving from the just paddling everybody thinking we're idiots to it looks like the waves are going to catch us and start pushing us pretty hard. Um, so that's, that's where we've been, and the other competitors have kind of been in the same boat, but we're all kind of out there. There's plenty of wave for everybody. Everybody's got their – our specialty is in um, tying apps into electronics. Um, there are some other companies and their specialty is in is really in the security. There's some there's a, there's a competitor who's really into basically hacking phones, rooting phones, all that kind of stuff. There's another competitor that's um does a lot of counter unmanned airplane <coughs> stuff. You know, there, there's just a lot of different things to do. Our focus all these things basically if I were to dive in deeper, all the stuff I showed you, it's an app you know, some piece of electronics. And we feel like we know some tricks to do that well in our context that keeps us ahead of everybody else. Moving to the, the beginning piece of your talk, um, student asked how hard and risky will it be to find assets that can end up paying for your expenses? Yeah, so it's not trivial to just say, you know, hey, I'm going to you know, put $10 in and get 1000 out. But on the other hand, it's not a big secret either. Um, it's going to take a little bit of work. It's not going to fall. You're not going to fall ass backwards into tons of great investment. You're going to have to go, you know, look around for them. Um, but there are lots of resources online. I, a lot of free resources online. I would not recommend going to some class where you're paying $2,500 for somebody to teach you how to do rental property investing. That is that is a business, that is a money making venture for them to get $2,500 out of your pocket. Um, the best thing to do is to, you know, just use your personal network, find somebody that has rental properties and say, hey, I'd like to get some, you know, can I, can I just learn from you? Can you, would you teach me, you know, what, what sort of arrangement, a lot of people just do it for free, other people might want some little conversation in some form or fashion um, to, to teach you what it means to go scout out rental properties and buy them and go to the bank and 
you know, if you have a good good lease for you to use with the renters and how to follow up and get paid and all that kind of stuff. That, that's just as an example. That rental properties is is a, is a good one because it does generate monthly cash. Um, you know, you can do other investments like a, um, if you buy stocks, they're going to generate some cash. If you get one that pays a dividend, it's not going to be that much. Um, it's hard to get leverage on stocks, generally speaking. But you can go get, you know, you can take out a loan to pay for 80% of that rental property, for, or some percent of that rental property. So you have to pay for the whole 100% up front and then have the renter pay that note off. So then in the end, you've got this asset and all that money that's going to the bank is going to go in your pocket every month. I mean, that is a sweet deal. It does not, you can, I'm, all of you are paying rent, probably, right? Imagine if you had 10 of you giving you that amount of money every month. Did you think that you can maybe get close to living in that I'm rich category if you had 10 of you, just 10, 10 of you paying you that check every month instead of you paying one of those checks out every month? It ain't that hard, okay? It's not that hard, but it takes smart decisions from you up front and not a boat and a motorcycle and a bunch of other stuff that's sitting in the garage that's costing you money, not putting you on the path to a totally different future. Uh, could you speak to how you feel, because you're a doctor, Joe, so how do you feel college education is important to becoming financially independent? That's a great question. So, yeah, in case you couldn't hear Eric's question, was, or student's question, is how important is a college education to become financially successful? So completely independently of my own personal opinion, the data is super clear that to be financially independent, this is the way to go. I mean, there is no doubt whatsoever. There were certainly exceptions to the rule. There will be college graduates who will be total idiot deadbeats, right? You can probably figure out who those are going to be. Or you knew them, you know, going in. And there are people who will not even graduate from high school who will be super successful. <clears throat> so just because you know some of those people, either way, does not mean that the data is super strong that you are doing the right thing for your success, your family's success, your children's success, and their children's success, by having your butts in the seat, going to class, to the degree. There's pretty much nothing that you can do with your time right now that's more important than that. That said, you gotta be a little bit smart about what you do while you're here, right? It's not, you know, because you have a degree, you're not just gonna have money start appearing in your wallet. Um, it doesn't work that way either. So you're going to have to be smart about it. The best way to be smart are to network. All these people in this room and all the people that you cross paths with on the sidewalk and at the, you know, all throughout your college experience, you are here together now. Even next semester, that same group of people is not going to be together, right? They have homecomings to try to get some tiny sliver of people to come back together and be at Mississippi State again in the future. Right now, you're all here. Just what it means when you're not all here, it means you're all out somewhere else. It means that all the people that you can network and talk to and be friends with, they're all going to be out doing something else. It's amazing the difference between when I was in your shoes and today because you have Facebook and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. There are so many people that I would love to be in contact with that you know, just kind of fell out because there was no way to do that 20 years ago. You know, you know as well as I do, you can't just be just a Facebook friend or just a LinkedIn contact with somebody and expect much out of them. You're going to have to invest some time in those relationships, and that is time well spent. You can be anywhere in the world and sit, and I mean, this comes from a hardcore tech geek, right? I love to sit and program. I love to do it. You can be anywhere in the world and sit by yourself in front of a computer do that. And so there are people all over the world who are sitting in front of a computer and doing that. Please mix into your life a little bit of time out there, not with the same one or two friends, get out of your comfort zone, go do some stuff that you like, with, you know, where you're going to meet some more people, so that you come out of this great environment with some wonderful experiences and some wonderful friends and a great network so that when you get a year and two and five and ten and twenty years on the road, 
You're like, you read something in the paper and you're like, I cannot believe that dude has managed to do that. That is awesome. I'm really proud of him. And I think that they, you know, we could do something together. And so you can call them up. The more of those we'll see that you can plant, the more useful they are. And so, yeah, college, college education is really important. But a lot of it's for things like the opportunity to network with a lot of smart people that are sitting around this room with you. I'm going to color this question a little differently. Um, you talked a lot about trends in war, trends in battle, and um, could you speak to the your internal ethics about a company that's uh, in the business of war? Yeah, this is a big, this has been a big deal for me. So um, when I was I don't know, about twelve years ago or so, I was working for a company that was building autonomy for unmanned systems meaning that we were teaching robots to do stuff on their own. And we were working on something that would let robots make decisions to fire on their own. And we came to the conclusion, not just me, but some other people working on the team, that you're never going to make a fail-safe um, assessing system, basically. So, so you had to decide what was going to be a target or not. The simple way is just to say, anything moving in this area is a target. If it moves, shoot it until it stops moving. If it starts moving again, start shooting it again. I mean, that works. Pretty damn harsh, right? That's harsh. I don't want to be on the other side of a robot like that. Okay? It's not, you know, it's tough to think about. What's more complicated if it's going to actually make some decisions and say, "Well, I think this is a, I think this is a target," and we realized that we were not going to be um, we, we could be making a system that people would put all their faith in, and then have it choose targets completely with a person out of the loop, and we decided to stop working on it. Um, and so, and I left. I stopped doing that. But in the interim, I've remembered all the people that I worked with while making that system, all these people in the military. That was right when the Iraq war just started, right after September 11th. There was a guy that I, man, he was a, he was an awesome dude. He was super gung-ho, doing anything for his country, talked about his family all the time. I saw him, we were doing some stuff, we were working together. Then I didn't see him for like nine months. The next time I saw him, he was missing most of his arm. And he was just as gung-ho and ready to do whatever the day that I saw him missing an arm, as he was the day before, when everything was cool. There, those are, that's a special kind of person. There are types, there are people in the world, and there's a fight. Some people will run away from the fight. Some people run with their cameras to the fight. And some people run to go take care of settling the fight in some sort of just way. And that last category is a pretty small, but special group of people. And that's the kind of people that, generally speaking, are the ones we get to work with. And that kicks ass. That's awesome. If we just let the folks that did not have ethics and morals be the ones that satisfied their technology needs, I don't really don't think I like sort of that direction that the world would go. I think it's important for people that do have an ethical, moral conscience about the decisions that they make and why they're making them, who they're making them for, to be involved in this and to just say, I think I better get out and I'll let the, you know, I'll let the Hellions run it. I don't think that's a good thing. So that's kind of how that's that's the that's the process that I've lived over the last um, you know 15 years is recognition. This is absolutely the thing I want to do, and the people I want to do it for, and I want to do it in the right way. Um, and sometimes you have to make decisions about what that's going to be. Any other questions? Good. Thank you. Sure. Uh, what's the BFT system you're talking about earlier? Did you send your system uh, populate the icon on the other BFT systems around? Like we're talking trucks, and uh, I know this is like, you can hook a helicopter or plane or something, but can you do that in the chat back and forth? Yeah, so this question is about the blue force tracking on this system here. So um, I can tell you there's on the screen where all the different radios are. Um, the question is, how much how much can I track with that, basically? And, right? Well, I guess more technically specific, can you? Talk with the other VFT systems out there now, because like right. So there, there are other blue force tracking systems of different variants. We don't talk to the blue force tracking system. We talk to the systems that collect the blue force tracking data. So 
Um, there are different protocols that you publish, report type information, according to like personal and targets. And so we, we will publish personal and If we know we're publishing, we know that the commander is going to use a system that subscribes the personal and target information, and we, then our system publishes personal target report tracking data, and then it will show up in this system. So that's a pretty technical. Um, I've had like I've been I've been arguing that I've been been a lot of uh, schools on the uh, yeah. You have any like easy access like nine line medevac stuff on the phone on the on that? You know, about, like the report. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty common thing that like these the medevac or the um, or call the fire. Henry, I, I really uh, appreciate you describing in such simple terms the difference between um, wealth creation and wealth spending and what it can mean to a person personally. Um, it's interesting to me that there is a significant amount of, uh, of uh, pejorativeness about that. About it. <coughs> in the simplest terms, you're advocating having making investments that work for you rather than you work. Yeah. And there are those, especially who seem to be really interested in taking the most moral thing, government taxation and collection of this tax, consider that's an unfair point of view. Can you comment on that? Uh, probably not in the length of time that Eric can give me you know, before the class has to leave. Um, I, I'm definitely, I, I lived in Russia for a while. I speak Russian. I have friends that are Leninists, Stalinists, Trotskyists. Uh, I went to a, I was traveling in Argentina, went to a Trotskyist meeting. Um, in case you don't know, these are all the communist sort of main thinkers. But in particular, I lived in Russia and I traveled in East Germany, you know, former East Germany. I think it's pretty clear that the capitalist system is the best way to improve the quality of life for all the citizens. It is not perfect by any means, but it's the best system out there. Got to make that quote you know, from like democracy kind of deal. Um, thank goodness, you know, we are Mr. Churchill. No, thanks. Um, so we are so blessed to live in this country. It is it's got plenty of problems, right? But it gives us opportunities to sit here and talk and have ideas and try to execute on them to make life better for ourselves and our family and our children. And thankfully, we've got people that will do that, What you see right there. This is not from a training mission. These are people whose head is down because he's getting shot at, who's shooting back. And thank God we've got people who are willing to go do that when somebody says, it's time. And, um, and I'm glad I get a chance to help them out just a tiny little bit. Awesome. All right, let's thank Henry Ficotta. All right, next week, don't forget, it's in McCool Hall, Taylor Auditorium. We're going to have uh, Bobby Franklin from the National Venture Capitalist Association coming. It'll be in McCool Hall, Taylor Auditorium 124. See you next week.